Highways Voices from Hamburg, the podcast of the ITS World Congress 2021. Improving the environment, what a big business transaction means for the industry, and reaching the public take centre stage in Wednesday's Highways Voices from here at the ITS World Congress in Hamburg, sponsored by Swarco and Gevi. The official podcast of the 2021 ITS World Congress in Hamburg. Highways Voices. Today we talk about nudging people to make more sustainable choices. It's about adapting what we currently have, it's making more efficient use of our existing networks, but really putting ourselves in the shoes of the people so that we can create solutions that people will adopt that will people will embrace and that will drive the most successful outcomes. Swarco's acquisition of DINIC. We really talk about an, a merger and that is how we also approach now this integration of the DINIC mobility part into the Swarco family. Why Britain's new transport minister was so delighted to see new technology for herself at Congress. To be able to see the demonstrations as well of how these smart machines are being utilised on real streets, in real communities, across Europe and beyond and that is so important particularly at the early stages of my new role in the Department for Transport. And a session on why it's so important to engage with the public. In the presentation I actually give an analogy about my brother who thinks a smart motorway is an extra lane on the motorway that they're building to charge electric vehicles. I had to mention that one because I helped write the paper. Plus we'll have Eric Sampson's guide to Wednesday at Congress on Highways Voices. The official podcast of the 2021 ITS World Congress in Hamburg. Highways Voices, sponsored by Swarco and Gevi. Coming up, we'll also hear from Adrian Tatum on some big stories on the Highways News website, which includes a story we talk about with our first guest on the programme today. Tom Graham's Law is an associate from WSP, which has published a paper suggesting ways transport can reach net zero for the good of the planet but I'll let him take up the story. It's um, a paper that brings together some of our global uh, expertise and and really what we wanted to do was set a a green print really uh, of how ITS uh, as an industry could work towards supporting worldwide efforts to decarbonise transport. Three key themes came out for us, making more efficient use of existing transport networks, supporting modal shift to public and active transport, and then also supporting the electrification and move to zero emission vehicles. Three areas that we found were key in their sort of setting out a framework of where ITS can can have most impact. Often when we come up with solutions it's about banning things, it's stopping people from doing things they otherwise would do. Are you looking for more of a nudge solution, a way of actually having the carrot rather than the stick to get people to change behaviour just because it's a better way of doing things? Absolutely and for us putting people first is is the key key part of the paper really. We, we look at three guiding factors towards the back end, whole system thinking, human centric solutions um, which for me is the most important one really putting people at at the heart of it Uh, the third one is adaptability then so rather than banning things it's about adapting what we currently have like I say it's making more efficient use of our existing networks but really putting ourselves in the shoes of the people so that we can create solutions that people will adopt that will people will embrace and that will drive the most successful outcomes Talking off the record to people, 
especially say when it comes to electrification of the vehicle fleet, they say it's all very well setting a target of 2030, but we have absolutely no idea how we're going to get the charge points in there. We have no idea how we're going to have enough batteries to actually fulfil demand. And it seems that we've been kind of left to try and fix a problem someone else has created. Do you find in your work that what you're suggesting is fully achievable within the timescales it has to be done? I think so, yeah. I think, don't get me wrong, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge globally to try and address this. And the paper looks to that as well. I think one of the things that we, we really need to do is, is, is work together on this. As I've said, you know, whole system thinking is one of the guiding factors that brings together all of the parties to really consider how this is going to be achieved collectively and collaboratively. Um, you know, working with policymakers, working with vehicle manufacturers, network operators to, to drive this forward is, is, is going to be a fundamental piece of the jigsaw. Within the paper, what we've really tried to do is draw out real life examples of how ITS really is driving this forward t- today and set those up as ways that people can embrace those and build upon. Some work with our partners Midlands Connect has really supported that that strategy piece around vehicle charging infrastructure that in the long term will hopefully drive a better uptake of electric vehicles themselves. Finally, was there anything during your research that surprised or excited you particularly? Lots of the opportunities that are coming out within the ITS space are, are fascinating. I think the one for me that, that really excites me is the opportunity that connected autonomous vehicles can, can bring to this. You know, taking a lot of the, the human error out of driving can, can really help smooth networks, can, can really support that shift to more efficient use of, of our existing uh, transport networks but also comes hand in hand with you know electrification around more intelligent choices around journeys and can ultimately support in some respects the move to more sustainable means uh, public transport active transport as well and, and mobility as a service. Tom Graham's Law is an associate at WSP and the green paper I guess as he called it it's their new white paper on the road to net zero you can read on the Highways News website that's highways-news.com Highways Voices the podcast from highwaysnews.com highwaysnews.com I've stepped away from the exhibition hall for the moment come to the hotel next door to meet up with Professor Eric Sampson for the latest of his guide to the must-attend papers of each day at Congress. Eric, thanks for joining us again here on Highways Voices. Um, What can we look out for and what are the must-attend papers on Wednesday? Hi Paul, I'm still on an adrenaline high from the ITS Summit, which you always hope it goes well, and when it does better than well, you feel pleased. My highlights choice for today... We've got something unique, which is always good. The first ever global ports and freight forum. For years, we've been trying to encourage freight. Um, We're in a major port city. The obvious thing to do was combine. So we're running an extended length session on freight and ports. We're trying to cover the whole logistics chain from something being manufactured to it ending up in the shop and then in your home. So that's one to look forward to. We've also got another one of our forums, Green Lights for Green Deals. This is very much a European thing where we're explaining what we're doing for green mobility. Later in the day, I've got a couple of special interest sessions I'd like to pick up. 
SIS-51 is again something different. It's the combination of terrestrial 5G telephony with satellites. People say, you know, what's the link? Why do we need satellites? Well, consider going to the middle of Germany, the middle of France, middle of Scotland. You've got very little land coverage. So what's the solution? You look up. So the combination of ground and air. And then later on, we've got a very nice session, Mass in the 15-Minute City. This is something that's been adopted from Singapore, where they've got a policy of saying nobody should be living more than 15 minutes away from the destination they want to get to by public transport. It's ambitious even for Singapore, which is a little island. It's very, very ambitious for a big European city. But come to the session and you'll find out what's being done. For the last 18 months, Eric, my commute every day is from uh, my house to the shed at the bottom of my garden. So actually commuting more than 15 minutes seems like a pleasant novelty, but I'm sure that will wear off very quickly. Just quickly going back to the freight and ports, of course, we had a lot of that in Singapore, got that this year, and it will be a precursor no doubt to uh, Los Angeles in 12 months time. Yes, you've mentioned something that I forgot. This is continuity. The advantage of working on the World Congress and dealing with the other regions is that we can have continuity. The original plan was Singapore, Los Angeles, um, Hamburg, that's had to be changed. But we've still got the continuity and we're hoping to finish this with Suzhou when the Congress moves there. So certainly Los Angeles will be included. Eric, thanks again for joining us on Highways Voices. We'll talk again on tomorrow's podcast. Highways Voices. In a moment on this podcast sponsored by Gevy and Swaco, we'll hear from Swaco, Cubic and what the new Transport Minister in the UK, Trudy Harrison, had to say when she visited the World Congress on Tuesday. But first, let's catch up with my highways news co-owner adrian tatum on some of the other stories you can read on our website highways-news.com so some of the stories on the highwaysnews.com site at the moment includes one around improving transport connectivity and how that could contribute to saving 27.8 megatons of co2 emissions by 2035 that's the equivalent of taking 750,000 lorries off the country's roads in a report published this week it showed that connectivity will play a huge part in the uk's transition to carbon neutrality Directly enhancing the connectivity of road transport with connecting autonomous vehicles will lead to a decrease in traffic congestion and pollution. The report also highlights how remote working could help the country achieve its environmental goals by contributing to a 5% reduction in the country's transport emissions. Elsewhere, PT Group software for metastopic simulation has been successfully implemented in a pedestrian context to analyse detailed passenger movements within rail stations, the company has announced. The new tool is the first of its kind solution that leverages standard data sets for timetables, passenger estimates and station locations to allow for a station model to be built, run and analysed in a few hours. Also, location data and technology platform Here Technologies has announced the launch of its new Here Advanced real-time traffic service. It introduces new lane level information and expanding in the city coverage to help drivers reach their destinations more efficiently and stress-free. And remember you can also get all our news to your inbox every day if you sign up to our midday briefing. It's free and easy to do at highways-news.com slash subscribe. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. UK MP Trudy Harrison to come on Highways Voices but first if you're already a subscriber to Highways News you will have received the breaking news alert on Thursday the 30th of September to tell you that Swaco had bought Dinnick. 
This was obviously big news for our industry across the continent and around the world. So I spoke to Michael Schuch, who's one of the Swaco executive board members, to give me the background. I have to say I'm very happy, very proud that this, that this deal could really be closed. It's a big step for us and a real success, I would say. And it's so great to see that Dynic was becoming part of the Swaco family. And I understand it's not a sort of quick decision. This has been in the pipeline for many years. Uh, you're absolutely right, actually. Yes, uh, we since Egeria took over Dynic at that time from uh, the Imtech brand before it was rebranded, we were in close dialogue or in regular dialogue. And uh, I was very happy when beginning of this year, actually, we got an agreement to go into a due diligence phase. And uh, finally, you know the date, 30th of September, we were able to successfully close the deal. Okay, so it's all very nice talking about business and well done, etc. But actually, the key question for somebody listening to this podcast is what does it actually mean for me? What does it mean for the customers of Dinic and Swaco and for the cities and towns across the world? Well, you know that we are living in a very rapidly changing world now and the landscape is also changing. The, the user requirements and demands are changing and that puts a heavy workload on all of the ITS players. And we do believe by joining forces, two big players in the mar market, Swarco and Dynic, we can actually leverage that scale and accelerate the development of our R&D roadmap. And by this, also accelerating innovation that we bring into the market and accommodate what the customers, our customers, our clients and the end users are actually needed to get seamless to seamless mobility, to more sustainable uh, mobility, uh, environmental sound solutions. This is what, what we are looking for to make the travel experience safer, quicker, more convenient and environmentally sound. I've been involved in companies that have been bought and I've been involved in companies that have been the acquirer and often you can look at how you can save costs and how you can merge the businesses to remove the fat for want of a better word. It sounds to me as though that's not the motivation of this uh, particular acquisition. This is about sort of getting hold of extra expertise. Paul, you're absolutely right actually. Swarco is a family business and we remain a family business and as such we look for long-term shareholder values rather than short-term gains and that's why we also don't like to talk about an acquisition we really talk about an, a merger and that is how we also approach now this integration of the Dynic mobility part into the Swarco family. So what does it mean for where there's crossover? Because you've got your software solution, MyCity, and I know that Dynic have similar software solutions. So is it a case of just switching one off or trying to pick the best bits of both? Yeah, uh, that's a pretty good question. We have no master plan from day one on it we have a process actually how we are going to approach it and we will take the time to look at both solutions we all know that our clients look for stability if they invest in a solution they want to have those solutions for years or even decades so it is a decision we are taking very cautiously we would like to analyze both of our products and see how we can get the best out of both wherever we can uh, but of course there will also be decisions to be made because otherwise we cannot realize the synergies that we need to say we focus on 
one of the products and we are going to accelerate the development and the advancement of this product for the benefits of our clients. Michael, thanks very much for talking to me and I will uh, certainly make a point of following the footsteps along the floor here to the uh, orange Dinic stand with new family member of the Swaco group written above it. I'll go and check out Dinic as well this week. But for now, thanks very much for talking to me on Highways Voices. Thank you, Paul. Always great talking to you. Thank you. The official podcast of the 2021 ITS World Congress in Hamburg, Highways Voices, sponsored by Swaco and Gevi. Let's hear now from Tuesday at Congress and UK Transport Minister Trudy Harrison, who's just been promoted into the role. And one of her first jobs was to come to Congress to learn about transport technology. And when I spoke to her, she was clearly impressed. Certainly exciting, but most importantly, I'm meeting the people that are involved in the pioneering innovations. A lot of this is problem solving and the kind of um, positive mentality that I'm seeing from the people, particularly on the UK stand, is fantastic. But also to be able to see the demonstrations as well of how these smart machines are being utilised on real streets, in real communities, across Europe and beyond. And that is so important, particularly at the early stages of my new role in the Department for Transport. As we start to plan the future of transport and particularly decarbonisation. We're really pleased to see you because it's often an uphill struggle for the ITS industry to convince the decision makers and the budget holders that our solutions can deliver things quicker, cheaper and more efficiently than just the old-fashioned building projects. So it's great to see you here and see that you're engaging. I think as well it's important that we can demonstrate to the public that we can do these things safely. Clearly politicians, parliamentarians will have a nervousness about change and that's understandable. But by seeing how the you know the, the system behind me is being used in an airport to transport luggage, about how we're taking the challenge of curbside parking, but turning that into a business opportunity actually, which will improve the drivers driving various curbside deliveries to people's homes. It's when we start to bring the solutions to this conversation that parliamentarians and the general public will get on board and that's exactly what we're seeing here at the conference today. And of course, as you mentioned, it's really important for reaching net zero. Incredibly important for net zero and incredibly important for the UK. We are world leading in this, but being able to put those solutions and innovations into real life solutions and problem solving makes all of the difference and as we decarbonise it's going to be absolutely critical not least because of the data and the way that we interpret it to understand the ecosystem which transport is. Trudy Harrison thanks for talking to us on Highways Voices. Thank you. So let's keep the thoughts about engagement with the public going and ITS UK's Communications Director Krishna Desai who's Global Marketing Manager at Cubic is giving a paper on Wednesday at Congress about that very issue and I have to mention it because I helped write the paper. Krishna reminded me of the idea behind it. So the presentation is all about why it's so important to talk about ITS outside the industry, whether it's the funding we need from the governments and the people making the decisions on ITS experts, whether it's about public buy-in or public perception. It's really about promoting what we're doing and telling not just each other but people outside of the industry so in this paper we'll be doing case studies because it's best to learn from people that have done it good examples of companies that have promoted the ITS work that they have
have particularly been doing to the public, as well as one or two incidences that haven't gone so right and some best practices we can learn. This is where interviewer then almost ends up interviewing himself because the bit I wrote about was when I used to run the radio station for what was the highways agency called Traffic Radio and we had infomercials on there that explained different aspects of driving on motorways and trunk roads and especially why you should stick to the speed limits on variable speed limits even if there aren't traffic jams there because they were doing their job they were smoothing out the flow of traffic and we were getting the message across to people that way and I think sometimes the industry is really good at coming to events like this and telling each other how clever we are but the public have no idea that we're doing all these things that we're doing. I think that's great and in the presentation I actually given analogy about my brother who thinks a smart motorway is an extra lane on the motorway that they're building to charge electric vehicles and he's been spreading fake news since 1999 so we need to put these people in their places and oftentimes even when we're building things we say smart motorway being built here as an example but not what a smart motorway is so it's still left to people's imaginations like what could it be and when reality isn't what was in their mind it seems less interesting and exciting so we need to explain from the get-go what it is we're doing why it's important how it benefits them are there any examples that in your working life in cubic you've done where you've explained to the end user the clever things that you're doing yeah, so we go to a lot of transport events for kids and STEM activities. So Cubic is a partner of London Transport Museum and we often go to some of their workshops and we're explaining things like how does a transaction work when you're tapping on a, a TFL system and actually when you tap a smart card onto a reader actually it takes 0.3 seconds to process whether that card has been registered lost and stolen and they've got to see if there's enough balance in the card and they've got to make sure that you've got enough money to come back out again and all of the clever stuff that it does we help by doing videos and talking about it and really just dumbing down the language so that anybody can understand if you can't explain what you're doing to your kids you can't explain it to anybody else Earlier on in the podcast, we heard from Trudy Harrison, the transport minister from the UK. She was seeing for herself the way technology can help in transport. But the, the key thing is that if we as an industry shout about it to the end user, to the public, that they understand it, that can create demand. So it's actually good business to do this, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a really good business practice. And in fact, in the white paper and the presentation tomorrow, I'll be speaking about TFL who does this really well so when they're thinking about things like cycle hire they're not only building the infrastructure to make it available to people so they can use a service they actually build it into their mayor strategy and actually provide it as a stem related activity so they're teaching kids at schools from a young age how to ride their bike safely how to even like train using bike stations give fundings to turn parks into training centers so if kids are used to using that product and service then as an adult it becomes a habit and it's easier to make better choices based on a habit you already have so if they know how to ride a bike and that it's safe they're more likely to rent out a bike but if they've never been engaged in riding a bike in the first place they're just going to jump in an uber so it's about setting behaviors beforehand and setting it so it becomes a, a way of life remind me when and where it'll be wednesday the 13th of october it's a b6 room four be there at four o'clock well worth going along to that and that's it for today on highways voices thanks again to swarko and gevi for their sponsorship and do join me tomorrow when we have some great content about ride sharing and vulnerable road user safety as we talk thursday at congress but for now have a great day highways voices from hamburg sponsored by gevi and swarko